All right. If you guys want to go ahead and make your way back to your seats, we're going to do things just a little different for the rest of the morning. And so we'll give you guys a minute to get back to your seats. All right. So after talking to our amazing sound team back there that handle all that, um, we have decided that we're going to kind of shorten things up a little bit this morning just so that we have time to get through the service. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to go right to the message, and then we'll probably wrap up after that. Okay, so a little bit different. Um, also, we've made a decision to turn the AC off just so hopefully it doesn't burn something up. So if you start getting warm, it's, it could be the Holy Spirit. Could, I'm not going to judge. It could be, or it could just be the humidity. So, uh, but let's do this, guys. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm, the book of Psalms, chapter 33, Psalm 33. And so we are going to, um, and just so you know, the beeping you're hearing, that's not anything you need to worry about, okay? Uh, we have battery backups on all of our stuff in the sound booth, and so that's just that battery backup letting us know that it's not getting power as far as from outside sources. And so, um, and again, lights will flicker. You may hear other beepings and things like that, but trust us when we tell you that nothing to concern yourself with, okay? Um, and the kids, they're having a fun time down the hallway, I'm sure, enjoying this time together, you know, in the confusion. So, um, but yeah, so Psalm 33. Also, if we do have an issue where um, the power just goes out altogether, we will just go ahead and pray and dismiss, all right? Um, and I don't need a microphone, so maybe we'll keep going. We'll see how it goes. So Psalm 33. Uh, this morning, we're getting into our last week of our series, and it's kind of crazy how God works. We've been talking about uncertainty for a few weeks now, and how no matter what times look like and culture looks like around us with the uncertain times around us, we know that God is not shaken, right? God is not taken off guard, okay? Okay. So that's, that's really going to drive me crazy. That's, I can't believe it. Is that those smoke alarm things going off? Why? We have a key for those, I think, if someone wants to try to turn those off. I'm not sure. So, um, yeah, I don't know why those things are going off. Probably just because they're not getting power. Um, so we've been talking for a few weeks now about uncertain times. And I want to talk this morning. Our last message will be about hope. And we have to ask the question of where do we place our hope? What are we securing our hope too. Uh, we have hopefully been able to refocus our attention to the reality that God is still at work in uncertain times. Uh, we have discovered that uncertainty is nothing new. We see this all the time. We also realize that because he has the whole world in his hands, we can remain joyful and pray until peace comes. We can remain joyful and pray until peace comes. And so we've already discovered those things together. Uh, this morning, I want us to know that our hope is in God's love for us. What or whom you are hoping in determines your ability to maintain hope. Wherever and whoever you're placing your hope in gives you... It's a super simple verse, but one that I think speaks right to this fact. Psalm 33 and verse 22. Psalm 33 and verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Now I want to read that together this morning. I know I don't usually do this, but I'm going to read it and you repeat after me. All right, nice and loud now. Let thy mercy, O Lord, 
be upon us according as we hope in thee. Okay, I saw about half of you guys were just not really, you know, into that fully. You weren't really excited, okay? We can use our our big voices this morning. We're going to try that one more time. Let thy mercy, O Lord. That's a lot better. Let thy mercy, O Lord. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, Be upon us according as we hope in thee. And that is a powerful reality that we can trust that he is being merciful to us and we hope in what? In him. Notice that we don't hope in his mercy. We don't really hope in his grace. We don't hope in his blessings. We don't hope in his presence even. We hope actually in him. It's all in him, in his person, who he is as God. We hope in him. Today I want to talk about one of the most difficult tensions You will manage in life how to remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world. How to remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world. Every one of us will wrestle at some level with this dilemma. If you have ever had something you placed your hope in come crashing down around you, you know whether it's marriage, career, wealth, health, engagement, academics, athletics, Any of those things, anything that you've placed your hope in, and then when that thing or person or situation did not work out the way it should, we can tend to, that hope kind of falls down around us. And again, it can be all kinds of things, our career, our finances, right, our health, people in our lives, our parents, our relatives, all these things. And when we go through those things, we can ask the question, why even try? What's the use? What's the point? Then if you've ever asked those questions, if you've ever wrestled with that in your life at some point, then you know what this dilemma looks like. The definition of hope, one that I came across that I found uh, pretty pointed, says this. Hope, a person or thing in which my expectations are centered. The person or thing in which you have placed your confidence as related to your future. So that we're talking about my hope in my future, okay, So again, now we're talking in my finances, in my career, in whatever. My hope in my future for this or that to happen is placed in either a person or a thing. And that expectation is that placing my hope in this thing will help this come true in my future or in this person. The idea of hopelessness, to be hopeless, this is the feeling that comes with knowing that the person or thing in which I place my hope will not, cannot come through. So my wealth, my health, my finances, my career, my marriage, my whatever, I place my hope in those things, but then I become hopeless when I realize those things are not going to come to be. From the day we are born, we place our hope in something. It's usually our parents. Initially, we place all of our hope in our parents as children. This is just what happens naturally. At some point in our lives, that hope shifts when they prove to be unreliable or we choose to place it elsewhere. I'm just going to be honest. As a parent, I, 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 you, know, you try to be there for your kids. But being honest, I'm not always going to be there for my kids. Right? Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you want to be. But if your kid's hope is solely and fully in you, you know they're going to be disappointed at some point. They're going to be let down at some point because you cannot be all that they need every time they need it. The truth is, hope is like the ground beneath our feet. 
Hope is like the ground beneath our feet. We trust in it to support our dreams, security, future. This is something that we never think about, really, honestly, until it begins to disappear. Like air around us when it begins to evaporate. We gasp for hope. We reach for it. We long for it like gasping for air being taken away from us. When we place our hope in the things of this world, it is like shifting and sinking sand beneath our feet. Now, I want to share just a little illustration. Kind of, this is kind of really cool how God yesterday kind of reaffirmed this. Um, it was cool, too, as I wrote this sermon last Monday, Tuesday, kind of finished it up there. Um, I had a whole different kind of illustration for hope. Something kind of different that I came across from another author. And I was like, that, that works. I like that. But yesterday, we went to the beach up in Caseville. And as we were at the beach, you guys ever have this, what happens if I'm standing like just in the water, but the, the sand is wet, the water's kind of crashing in and going out, crashing in and going out. You're, I mean, you're like this deep in the water, just a little bit deep in the water. What begins to happen to the sand underneath your feet when the water washes back out? Yeah, the sand starts to disappear. What happens to my feet? They kind of sink. It was so funny. We're standing there, standing there, I stand next to each other, and I look over and she was here and then she was down here, right? And she looked at me, I was up here and I was down here, right? All of a sudden you just feel yourself start to sink into the sand, okay? I wasn't trying to push my feet down. I was standing pretty secure. I thought it seemed like solid ground. It seemed like it wasn't going to move. But every time that wave came in and washed back out, I saw less of my feet and more of the sand, right? I was starting to sink down into the sand. And that is exactly what happens when we place our hope in the things of this world or in the people in our lives. When we place our hope solely and fully, I'm not saying we don't hope in people, but I'm saying our, our, the wholeness, the fullness of our hope should not be in a person, in a thing, in, a, in an ability, because those things can be like shifting sand. And we think we're standing sure and we think we're standing secure, but then every time a wave of this world crashes against us, it washes a little bit more away and a little bit more away. And next thing you know, we start to sink down. And then next thing you know, we're being weighed down by the weights and the cares of the world. We can't even pull our feet out because it's pulling back and it's resisting us pulling out of those things. But the funny thing is when I took two steps back onto the more solid ground, no issues. I was secure. I was firm. There was no reason to worry. We feel hopeless and helpless and powerless when our hope or what we put our hope in begins to erode away or wash away. It seems that the leading cause of suicide at its core is an overwhelming sense of hopelessness in relations or finances. That one of the leading causes of suicide at its core is an overwhelming sense of hopelessness in either relationships or finances in our lives, in our world today. That, that's, that's an alarming thing to hear, that people place their hope in these things of the world, and when the, the troubles and the stresses and the trials or the reality that people are people hit those things, and all of a sudden now we begin to sink down and we realize, oh man, I need to step onto something more sure. And that's the beauty of what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't have to trust our hope to the things of this world. That there's something greater, there's something better that we can put our hope in. See, this is why it is vital we understand we can hope in something stronger and much more secure than temporary relationships and temporary finances. We are called to place our hope in God. We're called to place our hope 
in God. The only way to maintain hope in a broken world is to place our hope in God. Many Americans struggle with this idea because we do not believe it's really all that bad. We know things aren't perfect, but we believe that through our own ability, education, career, or our plans, we can, quote, get through the situation. And so we trust our hope to those things, believing it will sustain us. Only we soon discover that the foundation is not secure and will fail. And why is that? Because the world is broken and it is in worse shape than you and I can imagine. The world is broken, and so the things of the world that we put all of our hope in will sooner or later fail us. Romans chapter 8. Turn over there real quick. We're not going to read all of Romans 8, obviously, but I want to reference a couple of verses here, give you a little bit of a summary, and then we'll kind of hit a few verses here in just a moment. Romans chapter 8. The Bible is clear in this area. Paul opens this chapter with one of the most beautiful verses in the Word of God. Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful passage. But then he moves into talking about all the things the law could not do for us. That there was sin in the world and that the law and trying to live in the law could not take care of the sin or remove the sin within us. You see, sin is not some isolated moment in our lives or it is not some isolated experience outside of us. Sin that is, we're talking about in the Word of God, is sin that is in us. You see, through the fall of Adam in the garden, sin became part of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, right? We've known this verse, we've read it before, that through one man, sin entered in. Through the man of Adam and his sin, sin entered in. And we are born sinners and sin brings death. When you read the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, we'll get back to Romans 8 in just a moment. When you read the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, what do you see in the book of Leviticus? Rules, okay. What are the rules specifically dealing with for the most part? The idea of sacrifices, right? Let's be honest, the book of Leviticus is actually kind of gory, isn't it? blood and how to cut an animal and how to sacrifice an animal. I mean, it's really a gory book. I heard a a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary said when his son was like 9 or 10, he came out after his Bible reading, which happened to be in Leviticus, and he goes, you're not going to believe what I just read. And it's in the Bible. Like, why is this stuff in the Bible? He said, that's nasty, what's being talked about here. But here's the thing. Why did God give so much detail about the sacrifices? Why is he so adamant about the reality that when we have sin, something has to happen to cover that sin? What is that something? Something has to die. Sin brings death. James reiterates this later in the New Testament. We read this really all throughout Scripture. Where there is sin, there is death. This is not just true in Leviticus, but again, throughout all of Scripture. If sin equals death, then the forgiveness that Christ offers equals life, eternal life through Christ. So Paul in Romans 8 talks about how the law and all these other things, the carnal mind is unable to solve the problem that we see that sin brings in, that we have a debt that needs to be paid, but that we can't pay that debt The only way we can pay that debt is to die in our sin and be cast into hell for all of eternity. But Paul expounds on this feeling of hopelessness that comes with the reality of sin in Romans 8, verse 20. So look there with me. This is where we're going to read together, just a couple of verses. 
And again, I appreciate you guys, your faithfulness and your attentiveness. I know it's not an ideal morning, um, but I want to, I just really want to make sure that we center on God's word this morning. So Romans 8 and verse 20 says this, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. What is Paul saying here? Man, the world is fallen and all of creation groans in pain and agony. That word travaileth is the idea of a woman giving birth. Now, how many women here have given birth to a child? Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, a few hands. Okay. How many of you would say that was a fun, like no pain, you would do it again in a heartbeat with no medication. You, you loved the pain in childbirth. Okay, that's what I thought, right? How many of you guys love the result of childbirth? Hopefully the same number of hands went out the first time or the second time as the first time, okay? But the reality is Paul saying that pain, that agony, creation is groaning in that way because why? Sin has corrupted what God has set forth. We see in Romans 8, 20-22, and he makes it clear in the world today there will be frustration because in this world we are broken and void of truth seems empty and pointless. If we all hope, if all we have to hope for rather is in this world attached to the decay of this world. And we say decay because sin is breaking down over time what God has created. You know, I honestly believe that everything we see in the world today the bad, the negative, the evil, it's all a result of sin. And I truly believe that every generation we get farther from the garden, it's going to just seem to get worse and worse and worse. And we look around us today as a believer, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, you scratch your head, don't you? Like, how is this being justified? How is that okay, even in a non-Christian's eyes? How can that be okay? Sandra was just sharing with me a story out of Massachusetts. Uh, which is always a fun word to say. But um, there was a city in, in, in Massachusetts that, that passed a new city ordinance that now, uh, you guys maybe have heard of domestic partnership. This is basically where a man and a woman aren't married, but they live together long enough that in some places they're considered married because they've just kind of lived in the same home for so long. Um, and so that's kind of like just the, they consider themselves married. I think it's like seven years or something like that. So things come into play where benefits are there and now, you know, like, there's certain things that come into play with the, with the legal system. In a city in Massachusetts, they just passed a city ordinance. Now, it's just in this certain city that polyamorous relationships, which is basically any, like it could be one man, two women, all in a relationship together, two women, one man, two men, one woman, any kind of combination like that, if they declare themselves as a relationship, they will receive similar benefits as if they were married to one person. So now in this city, if you're polyamorous, which means you have a relationship with more than one person, and it doesn't matter the gender of the other people at all, in that city, if you declare that we are a relationship and we are a domestic partnership of the three or four of us, they will look at those people and say, okay, you get the same benefits somebody who's married gets. And you think about it and you think, how in the world did we get to this point? Because sin corrupts. Sin divides. Sin destroys. Sin takes what God said in the Garden of Eden. It is good. And it was very good, by the way, what God created. 
But over time, sin has eroded, and there's a decaying that is taking place in our world today because sin breaks down over time what God created. This, we see this in the first generation of people. What happened with Cain and Abel? Right? We went from dad walks with God in the garden to son kills other son because son was upset that his sacrifice wasn't received and the other brother's was. It's just crazy how quickly sin can break this down. But the reality is there is something better. We don't have to put our hope in this fallen and broken world. Look at verse 21 again. We're going to read 21 to 26. Talk a little bit here and then wrap it up. 21 to 26. For we know, I'm sorry, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we are saved by, what's the word? But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with, with patience wait for it. Amen? Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is a powerful passage. And by the way, that verse, verse 26, we have to take it in a thing called context. Some have used that to talk about uh, speaking in tongues and things like this and the voice of the angels. And yeah, it's not a language that you can understand, but it's the language of the angels. And they talk about this verse. But in context, Paul's not talking about tongues here. Paul's not talking about a language that's given in prayer. The point that Paul's talking about here is that the Spirit of God prays for us when we don't know what to pray. That when I'm heartbroken and just, and just tore down by the world around me and my hope was in something or someone in this world and maybe I put all my hope in that thing and it's taken away or the expectation isn't met, then I'm just crushed under the weight of that. God says, listen, I get it. And we're going to get to it in a minute here. The Spirit will actually pray for you in those moments. The Spirit will pray for you. We're tied to a bigger story than our lives. We're tied to a bigger story than just this life. We became Christians knowing that this life wasn't what it was all about. There was more than just this life. There was a future hope to stand upon. We don't give up on that hope. What do we do? Until we see the hope with our own eyes one day before his glory, we wait. We wait. However, while we're waiting, God is at work now in this life. And when we find ourselves frustrated, God understands. And, our, and, and he hears our prayers. As we just said, the Spirit even prays for us. Even when our prayers are just groans of frustration, mourning, and agony, he hears and he responds. See, we've been invited to stand on the sure foundation of God's love for us. This same chapter, Romans 8, where Paul talks about all the weight and the frustration and the agony, he ends the chapter by talking about what? God's great love for his church. God's great love for the believers, that in Christ we are given a love that nothing can separate us from. You see, this love that we're offered or that is offered to us is a love that has been proven, a love not demonstrated. Hear me now. Some of us, I know I need to hear this. A love not demonstrated by the fact that we landed the job. 
a love not demonstrated by the fact that we got the scholarship or we got the, the, the appointment or we got this or that. A love not demonstrated by the fact that we married into this or that family, that we received this or that financial blessing. A love not demonstrated by the fact that we earned a position on this or that team, that we got this or that promotion, that we live in this or that house, that we even got married at all, that, that none of that is a love that we're talking about here. The love that was demonstrated to us, that's been proven to us, that we are called to stand upon, is a love that was demonstrated in history when God's Son died for your sin and secured you a spot in his family forever and ever and ever. Paul says it right there. We wait for the adoption. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean we're not adopted currently. We are. We're the sons and daughters of God. But one day that adoption will go from a hope that is unseen to we are with the family of God before his throne forever. That we actually have the assurance of these things. We have said it before. God does not have to prove his love to us. He already has done that. But in the meantime, what do we do in the meantime? We, by his overwhelming grace, we live out kingdom values in a world of unhappy endings. We live out by God's grace. And again, we don't do this perfectly. We're all still battling this sin stuff. But we, by his grace and with patience and, and calling out to him for the strength to do it by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we live out kingdom values in a world of unhappy endings. Just as Jesus demonstrated for us to live, just as the apostles demonstrated, just as Paul demonstrated for us. And what does that look like? What are these kingdom values we're talking about? Well, we love even though we think it doesn't make a difference. We love our neighbors as ourselves because even though it may not look like it's doing anything, we live out kingdom values for the glory of God so that he is promoted. We serve even though it may not make a difference. We put others first even though it may not make a difference. We share the truth of the gospel, and God says amen. That was his amen, by the way. I'm just, I'm maybe a little out of context, but the point is this. We keep the kingdom purpose front and center in our lives. So let's walk this out practically. Do we plan ahead, yes or no? Yes. Do we uh, look ahead and build and pursue our goals and dreams? Yeah. Do we work hard in this life, in the things that God has given us responsibilities to work hard with? Yes. However, do we put all our hopes in our plans? Do we put all our hopes in our dreams, our ambitions? The answer is no. We hold it all with an open hand and say, this is temporary, Lord. Your love is eternal. We hold everything we have with open hands. See, when we loosen our grips from our plans, I love Andy Stanley says this, when we loosen our grips from around our plans, treasures, and ambitions, our plans, treasures, and ambitions loosen their grips from around our hearts. And we move our footing from the shifting and unsure sand in this life to the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We loosen our grip on those things, and those things loosen their grip on us. And so in conclusion, let me just encourage you with this. We've been invited to stand on the sure foundation of God's love for you. Will you move your footing? Will you choose to take a step back or step forward and move from the sinking sand to the solid rock? Maybe you're a Christian, but you have been tempted to move your feet back to your abilities. Maybe you've discovered that that was unwise. So will you move them back?
Maybe you have not experienced your hope in things of the world fail you. Maybe you feel as though you're still succeeding, putting your hope in these things. Maybe you think that you are okay and your footing is secure. I would encourage you to pray, seek him, and ask for his wisdom because there will come a time when the winds blow, the, ra- wa- the waves crash, and your footing will be revealed. Is it secure in Christ or was it sinking sand? Where is it that God is leading you? And so this morning what I want to do is we're going to close in prayer. And, and, and for obvious reasons, we're not going to have an invitation per se with music. But here's what I want to do. I do want to invite you that as we pray in just a moment, if you feel God leading you to come and pray, maybe you want to bend a knee and say, God, I need to put my hope and trust in you and you alone. I need to make sure that my hope is in you and all things. And it's fine to have hope in other things. But Lord, when those things don't come through, when those expectations aren't met, when those things fail and fall, I need to know that you are the solid rock that I'm standing upon. No matter what the waves around me do, And I know that nowadays we feel like these waves are over our heads. Man, we feel like it's just crashing down on us, that everywhere you look, it's just craziness. But that's why we need to know that our footing is not in the waves. Our footing is on the person and work of Jesus Christ because he loved you so much that he died for you on a cross. Remember the story of Peter walking on water? What was Peter's problem? Why did Peter sink? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on the waves and the storm. And I'm going to encourage you today. If you've been putting your eyes on the waves, then you might be feeling like you're sinking. What you do is you take your eyes off the storm and you put them on Jesus. Hebrews says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I don't care how big the waves get, how crazy the storm gets, how crazy the world gets. He will finish what he has started in you through the work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, nothing can separate you from his love. No cultural tensions, no disagreements with ideology, none of that. And I know right now it seems like there's so much tension. Let's get our eyes off the storm. And we can acknowledge the storm. We can say it's stormy out. We can say there's crazy things going on. We can speak truth. We can speak truth in love. We can say this is what truth is. This is what the Bible says. We need to trust in Christ. But at the end of the day, if the storm rages, we don't worry about the storm because we're centered and standing on the person of Jesus Christ, his love for us. So let's pray. And if you want to come forward and pray, we're going to have just a few moments of prayer. If you want to do that, that's fine. You don't have to stand or anything. You can stay seated right where you are. But if you want to get up and come forward, you can do that. If you want to pray there in your seats, whatever God is doing, would you just ask him to speak to you? Father, as we come before you this morning in prayer, Lord, I know that it's been a different, a different kind of morning. But you, before the foundations of the world, knew this is how this morning would go. And Father, I believe that nothing happens by accident, that there is a purpose in all things, and that you are working your plan. So Lord, I pray that as we just close this time in prayer, that you would lead, guide, and direct in all things, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. If there's anyone in this audience right now that is battling with feelings of hopelessness, feelings of of just uncertainty, Lord. Maybe you would just work in their hearts and minds. Lord, we ask that you would just show us that if we're putting our hope in some things in this world that are sinking sand, that are just shifting sand, that's not secure, 
I pray that we'd use your wisdom to look to you and ask you to show us what needs to change. Lord, we all have expectations of other people. We all have desires and ambitions and goals. Nothing wrong with those things. But we don't hold on to those things with everything. We hold those things with an open hand because you are greater. And so, Father, I pray that you would just work in our lives this morning as we spend just a moment before you in prayer. Father, as we come before you today, as we close this service, Lord, I pray that you would, that you have been glorified in all that was said and done. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you today like never before. We do pray for those in our area, Lord, that don't have power maybe already. I pray you to restore that power before they get home. Father, that you would just be over their needs and provide for them whatever's going on. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the God of this city and we trust you in that, believing there's greater things to come than we've ever seen. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of this, for your grace and your mercy and the sure foundation you offer in Jesus Christ. May we trust in you today, not just with eternity, but tomorrow. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.